we're here. It's episode 2021. Number... Wait, so... not 2021. <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> Uh, but we've almost kind of halfway made it. But we've created something in this episode that will help get you through. Absolutely, it's, this is a fantastic episode. We're I'm so halfway excited. Halfway there. Yeah. Um, Everyone keeps asking us how how are you going to keep topping you know your previous episodes? Yeah. And the truth is, we're not going to be able to keep this up. But this, I think, this might be. I think this is the zenith. This might be yeah. the zenith. Yeah. So after this episode, you don't need to so, listen to any more. But <laughs> I will say, I will go back in the first episode. We said it only goes up from here. It does. And I think it's it gone has pretty uphill, yeah. From it's pretty one great. to episode seven where we are now. It just goes it's a steady climb. It's phenomenal, upward. man. Especially our guests, our guests. So I think in a way this is today is kind of the third part in a maybe a mini series. We've yeah, had three guests, guests on in a row. Yep. Yep. Three awesome um, women who have different perspectives on different things. Mm-hmm. And today I think is uh, especially exciting and insightful episode. I yeah. really enjoyed having the conversation with our friend really Sarah. Great. So if you did not see the title, uh, we're going to be talking about her experience as a Muslim American mm-hmm. woman and like what that looks like for her and some of the things. A lot of her own personal faith within that. Yeah. yeah. And I think I just I loved the conversation today. Yeah. It was one of my favorite. I just during it I was thinking, wow, this is one of the coolest like podcasts I've ever gotten to be a part of. Just being part of it and learning. Uh, so I think you'll really enjoy we'll learning. probably have her back at some point, I imagine. Oh, yeah, yeah for uh-huh. sure. Um, so the, the three-part series of the awesome guests we've had, this mm-hmm. is definitely a highlight. Um, but I did want to preface, uh, yeah, yeah. give a little preface to today's episode. So if you are, um, if, you're, if you saw today's episode and you saw, oh, it's about Islam, you know, and about people who are Muslim living in America, like, um, I think there's... The, one, in, in the United States, we talk about this in the episode, but there is a tendency to kind of stereotype and generalize people. Yeah. That's mm, absolutely a big part of our culture, yeah. and it's not a good part of our culture. Um, and so I think there are particular questions, like the low-hanging kind of, I would say, ignorant questions that, yeah. that people want to ask Muslims or they want someone who's you know Muslim to be asked, like put on the spot or whatever. And so I just wanted to preface today's episode. If you're tuning into this and you're like on the edge of your seat with your popcorn, ready to hear us ask about like, um, you know, violence um, yeah. and, <laughs> and about, oh, aren't women oppressed in Islam? And <laughs> uh, don't you want to enact Sharia law? Like if you're expecting those types of questions, I'm just gonna say those questions are ignorant questions. And we, like there are very sensible answers to the mm-hmm. question that you can find elsewhere. Oh, and uh, and on top of that, it's not the responsibility of Muslim Americans or any, any defend, Muslim yeah. people of faith yeah. to to defend themselves from uh, uneducated and ignorant questions, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's not what we're here to promote, and that's not what we're here to do. So yeah. we're not going to do that in this episode. Yeah, and Sarah's our friend, and we wanted to have a, a conversation with She's her. She's incredibly insightful, yes. has a lot of really, really great things to say about her faith. Yeah. Um, and you don't need to try and push these you know hot topic controversial questions in order to really gain a deep understanding of mm-hmm. of who she is so mm-hmm. yeah yeah so yeah i would say just as a a precursory um thought before mm. you listen to today's episode if maybe when you clicked on it you subconsciously were thinking oh i hope they're going to ask about sharia law or you know one of those things that is a hot button thing 
like maybe you should pause the episode and do some research and like maybe try to find a relationship with someone who's muslim or listen to a a, you know a story or an interview or podcast or you know begin to understand Mm. and and maybe not be so inclined towards that and i say that because that's i think at one point i I was there and i think i still struggle with being there so i'm saying that not as a holier than thou but as a hey this is kind of where i used to to think it's a process it's a process and so yeah if you're expecting that to be a part of today's episode, it's not. And I encourage you to read a book and like get that type of thinking and that type of questioning and that type of generalization and stereotype out of your mind and, and really open your mind to hear one person's story. There's mm. over 2 billion Muslims in the world. This is one person who's Muslim and it's her story. So yeah, yeah. all that to say, enjoy, enjoy the episode. It. It's, it's a great it's, episode. Uh, it's a lot of fun. So yes, thank you for tuning in as always. The McManus Movie Corner. Here it is. Of the week is... I love this new voice. (laughs) (laughs) Tuning in to the McManus Movie Corner. (laughs) It is a beloved movie by children everywhere. A classic, some would say. A classic from the studio that brought you Toy Story. (laughs) Are we going to do this every episode? (laughs) Maybe. It's... Not Finding Nemo. It's not Finding Nemo. This I don't know week, why we picked Finding Nemo. You started that, I, by the way. I, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> um, I have regrets. This week is actually uh, a, a fan favorite of mine, one of my favorite movies, but also I think an underrated movie. A lot of people didn't see it. Um, this movie is called Arrival, and it is. Uh, it stars Jeremy Renner. Of, and Amy Adams. And Amy Adams. Jeremy Renner of Hawkeye fame and Amy Adams of Lois Lane fame. Yes. And other fame. And it's mostly Amy Adams. I mean, she's Renner, the Renner is there, but she's... She's the lead. Yeah, and she's, she's great. Main, she's awesome. She does a great job in the movie. Uh, the director is one of my favorite directors. Um, I guess he's kind of an up-and-coming director, but also he's been in the game a while. Uh, Denis Villeneuve. I might have said his last name. I have no idea. Yeah. He's a French filmmaker, and he made... Uh-huh. Um, this was probably his. I think this was one of his first like blockbuster movies. Mm. But he made Blade Runner twenty forty nine. He did. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, and he his cinematographer is won like tons of Oscars for. Yeah. Something. I mean, he uh-huh. just makes really beautiful. He is actually making the new sci fi epic Dune, which is based off a novel that's coming. Starring out. Timothy Chalamet. Yes. Very exciting. The yes, Timothy Chalamet himself. So uh-huh. all that to say, really good director. This kind of brought him onto the scene. It got several Academy Award nominations. Yeah. Um, but I think it was underappreciated the year it came out. And I think one of the reasons is it came out at the same time as this movie called Passengers with uh, Chris Pratt and Mm -hmm. um, uh, from Hunger Games, Jennifer 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 Lawrence. Lawrence. Yes, J-Law. And these two movies were actually very different, but they looked the same on the trailers. Aesthetically, they looked And it was like very famous white male lead, very famous white female lead. For both of them, space, aliens. Kind of, kind of, And they were totally different calibers of movies. Extremely different. Passengers was fine. Well, even the genres were not. Yeah. I actually yeah. fell asleep during Passengers, so I'm not going to do a movie corner about that. We're not doing that, yeah. But Arrival, on the other hand, was very good. So this is one of those movies where it does... I will not spoil the main the main ending, because that's one of the coolest parts of the movie, one of my favorite phenomenal. things. phenomenal. Yeah. yeah, phenomenal, very well-written ending. But basically, the premise for the movie is that Amy Adams is a uh, linguist, so she is trained in languages and like you know understands translation and all that and these aliens these giant squid like aliens have landed on earth 
I've just lost some people in that line, but please watch it. Like, <laughs> well, and it's not—it's it's not, not about even, the aliens. It's yeah, it's not, it's not about not, the aliens. Kind of, but it's not really yeah. about them. It's about the, the part of it. Yes. Yeah. So the point is, these aliens come and they're trying to communicate. They're not—they're not being violent. They're not they're being not aggressive. Violent. They're just kind of sitting in all these different places. Yeah. Yep. And everyone's really confused. And they're like, "Well, we should get someone who, yeah. you know, knows how to talk to other cultures yeah. and try and help them figure it out." So exactly. Yeah. So yeah, they—they they like their language is these circles. Like that these ink circles. Shapes. Yeah, yeah it's just... really interesting. It's nothing like any languages we have, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So they bring in someone, a professional linguist, to say, hey, figure out how to communicate with these creatures. So she has this unique task of trying to figure out how to communicate. And um, But at the end of the day, the movie really is about communication. It's about intercultural communication mm-hmm. between when you have different cultures, different values, and there's a lack of understanding. You know, how do you bridge that gap? Yeah. How do you comprehend how do you seek meaning mm. and seek peace when usually the response to aliens coming in every other movie it's like they're gonna attack us we're gonna attack them sure. well zero-sum game yeah, yeah where amy adams is kind of advocating for hey maybe we shouldn't start by launching missiles at the aliens maybe we should try to understand them well and even even when there seems like there's little avenue to actually fully understand them their culture their mm-hmm. uh, environment even i mean something that's really pushed in the film is that these are creatures that are extremely different from us very inhuman like we have no idea really anything about them Mm -hmm. um and how do we take on this task even having very little knowledge about these these different creatures Mm -hmm. um how do we begin to try and relate how do we begin to try and coexist Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah i mean it's especially relevant for not just what we talk about in this episode but Mm -hmm. just i think in general yeah. Um, how do we relate to people when not only are we very different, but that difference is so wide that we have very little common knowledge about each other? Yeah. 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 I think it illustrates that really well. Um, and it it definitely shares that lesson in a cool way that is it's packaged in sci-fi. So it's mm. like it's the traditional narrative of aliens, but really it's about people and how people communicate. Yeah. And oh, it's yeah. about the real story is about Amy Adams' life. And it's actually it is a sad movie. There's some. I mean, I remember being cheered up the first time I saw deep it. Moments, yeah. yeah. So it is something that um, is really about the humanity and the humanity behind the story, and like the Amy Adams' own personal life kind of becomes the main point. Um, so one, and one of my favorite things, just geeking out, like in the in the study of anthropology, there's something called the Sapir Whorf hypothesis, which mm-hmm. basically just it's a hypothesis because it can never be proven because language what, what's it called again the sapir wharf hypothesis sapir wharf and it's okay. two different guys that came up with basically the same idea around the same time so okay. we credit both of them okay even though they both Very separately cool. kind of came up with similar ideas yeah but basically what it asserts is that um language affects culture so the words that we use the words that we're limited to mm. how we use words affects our worldview and our thinking and our value systems so for example a common example used is like the inuit people in places um, like Alaska, they have like, I forget the exact number, but it's like over, it's in the hundreds, hundreds of different words for snow. Hmm. Because in there, they're around snow all the time. So they have snow is for us, it's just snow. For them, there's all kinds of different categorizations of what snow is, hmm. what type of snow, the texture, like yeah. how it's used, how it's time of day, how, time yeah. of day, how it affects the environment. So in their value system, you know, snow is something that they're cooperating with, working against. It's a part of their worldview. Hmm. Um, and, but for us, we just use one word. So that the, the languages that we're the languages that we're used and that we're inclined to use and that we're bound by affects how we think about things. Is kind of the idea, and that's something they talk about 
in the movie and illustrate really well is yeah. like oh, language both limits us and empowers us to think and share different values. So with this hypothesis, not only is language an extension of you know one's culture, but it's actually forming that culture itself. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. oh, think man. about it, if you're yeah. a, if you're a native English speaker and you're not bilingual, you only speak one language. Well, another example is like the word love. You know, mm. I mean, a lot of different languages have a lot of different expressions of the word love, yeah. and that shapes how you think about even that concept from an early age because that's how you begin to understand and it. we have this one word that we can attach qualifiers onto yes yeah. but in the english language we only have one word yeah, yeah we only have one word and yeah. so it's kind of murky and so i think the way that we even see something like love being commodified in our mm -hmm. culture mm -hmm. part of that is the superior war of hypothesis would say part of that is because um, we're bound by only one word if we had a more nuanced understanding of the different types of love and how it's expressed maybe our culture would look differently based on that. So hmm. it's kind of that, the relationship between those two. Um, and I think That's this movie explores that. Yeah, yeah, the movie explores that in a really cool way. And it's not, you're not going to be sitting through an anthropology lecture like I just gave you. Like the movie is, <laughs> it's very engaging. Sure. Um, so definitely high recommend. Um, yeah, for sure. How many, Patrick, how, how many... many Giant squids, would you give it? I, I beat you to it. Uh, how many? I was about to ask how many out of ink circles you'd give it. 17 ink circles by giant alien squids. How many out of 17 giant alien ink circles, yeah. I would. I I quite enjoyed this film. Uh, the, you know, science fiction, there's a bit of a twist within it as well. Yeah, big twist, yeah. Um, which I really made me go back and I, I watched it again. It's worth right watching afterwards. twice. Yep. Like it's, yep. it's a fantastic film. I'd probably give it like a 13 or 14 out of 17 that's what i was, th I was yeah, thinking about it's 14, pretty good 14. it's pretty great it did win i did look it up okay it won one oscar for sound editing yes um so it is a, an oscar winning film yes if that's something and that multiple yeah multiple oscar about, yeah. won an oscar uh -huh. yep um I it's think quite a good film severely underrated. really talented cast yep well-established folks yeah forrest whitaker forrest too, whitaker yeah him. i i forgot he was in it until i looked He's it up great. yeah um it also explores the old uh you know the canary trick that was used by miners Mary back in a coal day. mine yep. yeah where uh -huh. they can smell the toxic gases and they start mm -hmm. chirping if those gases and they they explore that in a unique way so it there's so many fun fun things there's some fun moments the movie, but also very human very connected good so i recommend check out arrival if you haven't yeah go watch it i don't know what streaming if it's on a streaming service it, or, it was a pretty strong film yeah. so i imagine it's, like $3. I imagine it's, it's worth three dollars to yeah, rent, it's rent pretty it available so check it out that's been it, McMahon's Movie Corner. And we're this all does apply to our conversation today. So yeah, when we absolutely. talk with Sarah, um, I think the idea of communication, misunderstanding, yeah. miscommunication, different cultural Learn, values. Learning to listen. Learning to listen, well, learning yeah. empathy. Mm -hmm. That's why we chose this movie. So watch the movie, do your homework, and uh, enjoy the conversation today. Okay, to the show, Sarah. We're really excited to have you on today. Hey, Seth. Hey, Patrick. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here as well. Yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this for a while um, and really excited we found time to get you on the show and talk a little bit about your faith and your story. And um, yeah, I think it'll be really good. So to start off, because you are, in my mind, you're like a local superhero. You know, you're on the cover of magazine. Oh, stop. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, you know, it's true. Um, so every superhero has an origin story. So if you could give us, obviously, you know, you could probably write 
a book or books about it, but just a little bit of like your origin story or kind of what led you to be where you are today and the type of work you're doing. Like, you know, what are some of the things, the key things growing up and in, in, in your mm. childhood and adolescence that led you to be the awesome superhero you are today? <laughs> you guys are funny. Um, <laughs> so I will, as you mentioned, um, try to keep this short and not go into all the details because we don't have five hours, but <laughs> my name is Sarah Hindi. Um, I am an American Muslim. I was born in originally in Jordan. Um, so I was born in the Middle East where my family is originally from, um, but I've lived most of my life in the United States. Um, I am a proud granddaughter of four Palestinian refugees who fled Palestine in 1948 and went to Jordan. Um, and they've also traveled around um, different countries and just finding always a stable home and a, a place that they are a country that they're able to provide for themselves and their kids and their families and so I say that because my when when my family and I immigrated to the United States when I was young it was not we were not the first from our family to immigrate to the United States um, and my dad was uh, went to school he studied his master's at Rutgers University um, and my grandpa had an American citizenship before I was even born. So there's definitely been uh, several generations of Americans in my family. Um, 26 years old, and I went to IPY, uh, graduated in 2016 with a degree in media and public affairs. Nice. And I currently work full-time at a refugee resettlement agency in Indianapolis. Wow. Nice. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I feel like there's, I want to, uh, yeah, so I, much just, to dive I want to read that. Yeah. Was, yeah, that was very, <laughs> that was very broad. Um, I currently live in Carmel with my family. I grew up on the West side of Indianapolis. Mm. What else? Yeah. And I've, I've uh, moved from like immigrated from Jordan to Indianapolis and then also in middle school um, for four years, three years of middle school plus freshman year of high school. I lived in, I, we moved back, my mom and brothers and I moved back to Jordan to get connected more with our faith and our uh, language and to learn Arabic and just kind of learn more about who we are. And my parents, as as immigrants, um, my parents have, all one, always loved this country um, and love, you know, having the opportunity to be able to live in a place where they, they're able to provide um, good opportunities for their kids. But they've always also taught us to love ourselves and to get to know ourselves and our identity as a whole and uh, be proud of be pr fully proud of who we are. Wow, awesome. Well, and and it sounds like um, your identity, both as um, both as an American and also as a Jordanian, um, uh, really influences like the work you're doing and your relationships with your families. And I'd love if you could talk about uh, just uh, yeah, I don't know, just the the way that you either balance or those two identities work together for you, or what what that looks like for you personally. Yeah, so I think, you know, for a lot of people hearing this right now, maybe this is the first time they have heard a Muslim American speak via podcast or, you know, their, maybe their entire life. Um, but in, but they're, but I'm just saying this to, to, for, to make people realize, like, it's not necessarily that Muslims in America have always come from a different place. There have been Muslims who were born and raised in the United States, and this is the only place that they know. Um, so this is just my story, my personal story, yeah. uh, my personal opinions and experiences and not necessarily, you know, 
this does not represent, you know, like the billions and billions of Muslims around the world and um, like the thousands and thousands of Muslims living in the United States today. But personally, I've always seen my American Muslim identity as one. Um, it's not something that I see as separate. Like it's not one thing where I'm in public and I'm an American and then I'm at home and I'm Muslim. Like it's not what people think where I have to, I constantly have to balance definitely, I think two cultures just because my parents grew up in Jordan and the Middle East and that's, you know, and that's a part of um, my culture and identity. And it's just identity as a whole for, I think individuals is just complicated, right? Like yeah, there's yeah. so many layers of our identity. Like we are not one word or one ethnicity or one, <laughs> one thing that makes us up. Like there's so many pieces that um, make up one person. And so of course, like being Arab and being American and being Muslim, um, so, and being, and growing up and also just a part of the United States where it's always been majority white people that I have, you know, in work and school and just all, uh, just everywhere in certain spaces, I guess. Um, so I guess I've had to balance that a little bit. Um, but in general, I think with my relationships with people and my relationships in school and at work, a lot of times when people do meet me, whether, you know, wherever that is, sometimes I am the first Muslim that they have ever met in their life. And even till now in 2020, I still hear that very often. Like I didn't grow up with Muslim friends or I've never met a Muslim or I've never, you know, I don't know much about Islam, uh, which is very, very common. And so I'm constantly um, educating people, I would say educating people about what, you know, who I am as a person, not only just who I am as a person, but who, uh, what my faith is, what my faith stands for, because there's just such, there's a lot of misinformation and miseducation about who Muslims are, what they yeah. believe in. And I think, you know, the media plays a role in the negative influence of Muslims. Yeah. So, um, and we can talk more about that later on in the conversation, but I think that has played a role in terms of my relationships with people who are not Muslim and that I, there's always a certain piece of education that I bring to the relationships or people learn about me, you know, when I hang out with friends who are not Muslim, you know, they probably will drink. I choose to up until this day to not drink. I don't eat pork. Um, but it's not something, you know, that people don't like me for or complain about, like, it's just who I am and we accept it. Right. Just like we, you know, are okay with people who, are, you know, there's people who are vegetarians, they're, ve they're vegans. I mean, it's just, you know, people. Um, so my faith, I would say, plays a big role in that and how I live my life outside of um, my home, but also in my home of growing up, not being in a household where there's alcohol, whatever that may be. Um, so I know that was, I, I know I, um, I answered that maybe more generally than you thought, but let me know if there's anything I no, can elaborate on. That's really great. Thank yeah, you. that's yeah. awesome. I think um, one of the things I'm curious about is, uh, and even as you've talked about like your identity and, you know, as you, as we all come discover, come to discover our identities as we get older and, and the, the different aspects the of different that, as person, how complex yeah. that is. Uh -huh. I'm curious, like, what are some of your earliest memories of your faith and, um, you know, as you, maybe how it was introduced to you growing up and, um, the ways that it's continued to shape your identity now, like what does that kind of look like? If you think back to, you know, your earliest memories of the different um, just ways that you've lived that out as an individual and with your family, and with your community, like what does that kind of look like? Yeah, of course. So 
there are two different, not two different answers, but two par uh, parts to um, two, two answers um, to that question and two parts of my life that were kind of different for me. And so um, I learned English in kindergarten. I've attended K through five public schools in Indianapolis. And so um, growing up when I was a young kid, I I know this is a podcast, so people can't see me. I have very <laughs> fair white skin. Um, I have light hair. So when I was in elementary school, I honestly just looked like a white kid in class. Mm. And I, so I, and I, my name was Sarah, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I was, you know, as white as a white kid could get. <laughs> <laughs> and so I didn't really have any issues until, um, in, I think, was it maybe in actually first or second grade where I started fasting. And for those of you that don't know, fasting is, um, um, so there's a holy month of Ramadan for Muslims. And it is a, a holy month where Muslims do not eat, drink, chew gum, drink water uh, throughout the day from uh, sunrise until the sun sets. And for Kids specifically, there's not really a specific age where kids have to fast at a certain age. Um, it's it's the best practice, I guess, is starting at seven years old, just because the younger you start, the more um, adjusted your body gets to the you know this, and it's easier for you growing up too fast. But most of the time, a lot of kids will start fasting at nine or ten years old, maybe even eleven years old. Um, but you have to start fasting when you hit puberty, basically. So that's kind of that were that point where you do have to fast. But when I was a kid, I started fasting early on. And because I think as someone, I'm the oldest sister of three brothers and one sister. And so I, you know, when you're an older kid, you look up to your parents, you don't have any siblings to look up to, you're oh. the oldest. And so you always want to do what your parents do. And yeah. so when I used to see my parents fasting, I, you know, I just always, I just was like, yes, I want to do this. I want to fast. Um, for the entire month. And it started, you know, my mom was like, okay, fast the days that you can, or maybe start half days. And I was like, no, 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 we're doing this together. <laughs> and so I started fasting from early on. And so what I thought, not, I felt, I, would, I wouldn't say I felt different, but I felt like faith played a role in school for me was when during lunchtime and even sometimes recess where um, I wouldn't go to lunch and I would sit in the library because my parents communicated with my teachers and the school, you know, what Ramadan is. And most of them had never heard of Ramadan or had Muslim students. And so, um, you know, just that education piece again, but also sitting alone in the library and or sometimes with my brother when he um, he's a he's a year younger than me. So then when he um, we started going to school together, we would sit in the library together um, just read books or hang out in the library so that we wouldn't sit in the cafeteria and watch kids eat. It's okay, of course, if you are fasting that you are watching people eat. Actually, the angels come down on you um, and give you extra deeds if someone is fasting in front of you because you're it's um, showing uh, patience. But, you know, obviously as kids, it's not, you know, if I went to the cafeteria, teachers, if teachers don't eat your eat, if you don't eat your lunch at school in the cafeteria, teachers always, you know, like they call the parents and say, children, your kids didn't eat lunch today. Yeah. Um, so we didn't want any of that. So we just sat in the library to just stay away from that. And so that's kind of one piece in my life where I started realizing growing up that, you know, like a lot, I'm not like the other kids and a lot of, and, and because I've during four years, I believe of uh, elementary school, 
um, I, we, my brother and I were the only Muslim students in the entire school. So we felt like, oh, wow, like, the, no, there's no Muslims in this school yeah. either. And so that was one piece of it. But then a second piece um, of it was, so growing, um, so there's, I mentioned that there's a lot of miseducation and misinformation about Muslims in America. And unfortunately, nine, the tragic incidents of 9-11 has played a huge role in that. Uh, because I think so I was in elementary school when that happened and um, unfortunately that incident and tragic incident that like America Muslims in America mourned as well and they were um, very upset by what happened but unfortunately we were never given a chance to mourn because it was seen as an attack by Muslims on Americans and that's not true because there are Muslim Americans living in the United States and had been since that time yeah um and so when I was a kid and that happened, I didn't really feel it yet, um, but I would see the news and I would see what's happening. And I paid attention to just hearing other, there was a lot of hate crimes that happened right after 9-11, um, specifically for um, folks in New York and New Jersey who were brown, who had dark skin, who had beards, who maybe looked like Muslim, but weren't even Muslims, especially even Sikhs went through hate crimes and they were you know, getting shot and killed for something that they did not, they had nothing to do with, but it was just people's fear and anger taking over. Um, and so I didn't have any incidents in school where I felt there was a change, but I would, or some, something different happened, except until when I turned on the news or when I would turn on the TV and, you know, Muslims were being stereotyped and said terrible names and mm. um, called terrorists and being told to go back to where we came from and different things like that. And I remember in the fifth grade, um, this was one of my friends who had been good friends with me for two years and we always played together in school and we were in, on the playground and she was t telling me that I needed to go to church. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and keep in mind, like this is a fifth grader. So this is someone who was the same age as me. Like when oh. I think of fifth graders, I think of very small people, like she, you were <laughs> <Yeah>. very young. <laughs> and, I was like, wait, what? I was like, no, like my family and I, we don't go to church. We go to a mosque. Like I'm Muslim. Um, I go to Sunday school. I learn the Quran and I'm learning Arabic in Sunday school. And she was like, if your parents aren't letting you to go to church, you need to, you need to run away on Sundays and go to church. And I was like, in my head, I was like processing this. Like I wasn't really hurt. I was just like, I just thought she was crazy. Like I was like, have you lost your mind? <laughs> And as someone like I like I as a kid, I just always like listen to my parents. And I think as other as kids, but I think a lot of times we like some kids probably listen to their friends more than their parents. But for me, I had to just always looked up to my parents and we had a really good relationship. Um, and so I was like, no, like that would I can't do that. I would, you know, I um, not because if my parents found out I would go to church, they would be angry. But I can't run away from home. Like I can't create that fear for my parents. They wouldn't know where yeah. I where I am. So those were two different incidents, but actually, and then when, after the fifth grade, my family and I moved to Jordan and I'll keep this short, but then basically we were there for four years. And, and during those four years, I decided chose on my own uh, to wear a hijab, which is um, a headscarf that Muslim women after puberty can choose to wear or not to wear. And Muslim women have, Muslim women have chosen to wear it at younger ages than others, or maybe in high school or even in college. And so at different parts 
of their life where they feel like they want to become closer to God and be committed fully to their faith. Um, but also, um, as a way to identify yourself as a Muslim in public. So whether, no matter where you are, people of course see a hijab and you should know that this is a Muslim woman. And I wore that in Jordan and even when, and there wasn't really much like, no, I would say processing. Like I've something I've always thought about. My mom had worn a hijab and so I saw her wear it and I just thought it was just something so beautiful. And I wanted uh, to wear it as well. And so I did in Jordan and I didn't have, of course, any issues. And in Jordan, women can choose or not choose to wear the hijab. Mm-hmm. So I know that comes as a surprise for people. I know when they think of Middle East, they think women have to cover up. Um, but that's not the case for the majority of the countries in the Middle East, actually. Mm-hmm. And so when I that's and then my dad was still in Indianapolis and he had his business and um so we would visit my dad over summer breaks and winter breaks as, and we'd see him twice a year when we were in Jordan or if he would visit us as well. And the, I remember the first summer that I came back wearing a hijab just at visiting, it was terrifying. People, wow. all of a sudden I knew that being Muslim in America and looking at looking like a Muslim were two completely things to me because here I was when I was a kid, when I didn't wear a hijab, I was ex- like, I would say 90, 95% accepted, but especially in public where I would go to the mall or go to the park, I didn't have any issues. Mm. Um, But then after I wore the hijab, I would get looks in public. Um, People would tell me, you know, say weird things to me or just constantly judge me or constantly stereotype me. And, um, you know, yes, there have been people who have been, who have just given me the middle finger when I'm just out and about in public. Or um, if I'm if I'm driving, this has happened to my mom and I a few times where people um, like with their fingers, like do the gun sign or whatever, like and point it at our heads. Yeah. Um, so there has been and I can go on forever, but there has just been so much hate like in that summer, but also has continued um, for my mom and I and all, a lot of Muslim um, women and girls who wear the hijab because we're constantly a target and constantly a threat in certain spaces, unfortunately. So those were three different times in my life where I felt like, oh yeah, this is, you know, like who I am and the faith that I, uh, that my family practices and the faith that I continue to choose to practice is a threat and a target for some people. And this is a lot of people fear this. Mm. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Jeez. I, I can't even imagine that. And even just going back to what we talked about earlier, where that's, you know, as an American, that's part of your identity mm. and the fact that people feel threatened by your identity that you even said you you found it to be beautiful. Like, mm-hmm. this is a beautiful thing that I want to be a part of because it's a part of my family. It's a part of my identity. And the fact that people are threatened by it's just, yeah, I can't imagine what what that is like from your earliest memories to have that kind of. Yeah, especially yeah. as a young person growing yeah. up and everything that comes with with all of that anyway. And yeah, yeah it'd be a lot. You've, you've kind of already touched on a number of these already, but uh, I was wondering if, if you wanted to talk about maybe some of the, um, just the daily realities that uh, you live with, like as a Muslim American, that maybe a lot of other uh, non-Muslim Americans uh, work through and process. I know you mentioned just um, the, the harassment you often get because of uh, you wearing the hijab. Um, if there's anything else maybe like that, that uh, we wouldn't, experience on a daily basis yeah. yeah 
Um, yeah. So I think wearing a hijab has definitely, um, you know, again, continues even in 2020, especially under, you know, a, a current administration and a current mm-hmm. president that is not very Muslim friendly mm-hmm. and has said several, several anti-Muslim and anti-Islamophobia statements and continues to tweet and just say really hateful, hateful things to thousands and thousands of Americans who choose to practice Islam in the United States, but also to talk about a religion that is practiced by billions of people around the world. Yeah. Um, and so that's, you know, wearing a hijab is what is, um, I guess, one thing. And even sometimes in spaces where I, so um, earlier on when I decided to, um, you know, I want to get a gym membership and I realized even like having white skin has been a privilege to me as a Muslim American because I, at the gym, I was like, I don't want to, I know I don't want to wear a hijab. I don't want to, you know, sweat in it. There's not a lot of, you know, hijab places that I can buy from in the Midwest. So a majority of my hijabs that I buy are from Jordan. And so I was like, I want to keep them. So how do I, what, you know, what can I wear at the gym that covers my hair? And so basically I, there's a white piece that covers my hair that I put, and then I put a cap on a cap, like a baseball cap. Basically Mm -hmm. I wear a baseball cap, IU baseball cap. So when I wear that at the gym or like even let's say I just wore it and went to the store and I was still fully covered up. Um, but wearing uh, my my baseball cap, the the interactions that people have with me is 100% different. Mm. So people are nicer. If I'm out walking around my neighborhood wearing it, people will wave to me, ask how I'm doing, smile, uh, versus if I wore a hijab and just went out and walked in the neighborhood or around Carmel, Indiana, I do not get those same kind gestures, unfortunately. So that was, that's sometimes, that that has been a test of like, oh, wait, like, yeah, sometimes, because I'm like, is it my hijab? Like, is it something else? Did I do something to people that, did I offend people in public that, like, they're mean to me? Um, but that was, the, those were incidents where I've, like, realized, oh, wait, yeah, it is 100% the hijab, because I have white skin, I have green eyes, I don't, to, in people, when they imagine what a Muslim looks like, I am not, like, they don't imagine someone with white skin and green eyes. Although, like, I, like, get it from my grandpa. My dad has colored eyes. My uncles have, like, everyone in our family is, like, super white, honestly. Um, but, like, that's just, that's the Middle East and that's Arabs. Like, sometimes they have light skin, sometimes they have white skin, and sometimes um, there are folks with darker skin. Like, there's not really a one image of an Arab or of a Muslim, but I think in America, unfortunately, that continues to be the case of Muslims look like this and they do this and, you know, we constantly stereotype and put put people in boxes. Um, But I would say other incidents, yeah, I think the hijab is probably a majority of it, but of course, you know, when we turn on the TV and we turn on the media and we constantly hear hatred, we constantly hear um, things being said about us, um, it's just very, very sad. And I've, I wanted to add something in my, in another thing that I mentioned. So um, wearing a, hijab, a Muslim woman who choose to wear a hijab does not mean that they are more religious than a Muslim woman who doesn't wear a hijab. Mm-hmm. And it, that does not determine anything. Um, and there are several Muslim women who choose to wear it. And there are also several women who choose not to wear it. And it doesn't mean that one is right or one is wrong. I mean, it's again, it is a choice and people make that women make that choice um, every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On the, Thank you. yeah, thanks yeah. for sharing that. On the flip side, I wanted to think about, um, you know, your, your current role, 
um, with your employer that, you know, you get to do in the communities is very community focused. And yeah. so you're rubbing shoulders with a lot of different people and um, just very involved in um, the city with uh, refugee rights. And I mean, lots of other, it's really cool to, to see all those different things, but I'm curious, you know, in the work that you're doing on the flip side to maybe think about maybe in an internal way, like how does your faith influence that type of work that you're engaged in or, you know, day to day when you're, um, you're working with different people across the city, you know, wh what ways does your faith ground you or what are some values that you feel like you take into your everyday life that, that come from your identity and your, um, yeah, your, your, um, upbringing and, and just your, your family value of being a Muslim. Yeah. So in terms of specifically related to just um, sometimes the hatred I encounter in public or the hatred I encounter in public spaces or sometimes even just the microaggressions, right? Because those are just as bad as someone telling you, you know, like, go back to your home or you don't belong here or, mm -hmm. all, you know, that sense of, you know, people are constantly seeing me as an outsider and not mm -hmm. as an American or not that that is someone from this country. Mm -hmm. And I've learned to just and I always get asked, how do you deal with people like that? What happens if someone, you know, gave you the middle finger in public or you're, or for example, just a few weeks ago, I was, um, I was grocery shopping, I was getting eggs and mil a milk carton from uh, the refrigerator at Meyer, and um, this uh, white gentleman passed by me and gave me, and kept staring at me and gave me the dirtiest look ever, like a death mm -hmm. stare. And that happens so often, right? But I con I constantly choose when for for when that happens. Yes, I get angry. Yes, I get frustrated. On a bad day, yes, I will you know run home and cry sometimes because it's just so frustrating. Um, but I choose to just respond, not necessarily with kindness. Like I don't try to talk to people like that. Um, I'm, I also don't try to have like influence them, you know, in that moment or want to change their mind. Mm. Um, but I constantly walk away with incidents like that just with my you know, head held high so that I can, you know, show grace more to myself and just, you know, a fight. If I started a fight in the middle of Meyer as a Muslim American who wears a hijab, who do you think will be blamed for? Yeah. And how do you think, you know, a media story would, would look at that story and they probably flip it around or even he would say, you know, oh, look, you know, she's Muslim. You never know what people's intentions are. And you never know what people are going to say to you if you did say something back. Um, or gave them then, you know, the same nasty stare. Yeah. And there's um, not, there's not, not a, not a, in the Quran, there's several, there's several things throughout the Quran, but also when we are taught about our prophet, prophet Muhammad, peace mm -hmm. be upon him, there are several incidents that were taught at, at a very young age where he himself had um, encountered hate. He himself had mm -hmm. been spat on. Uh, people try to hit him. People have tried to, um, beat him up as a person who was, you know, spreading Islam in the community. And he always, always showed respect for those people. Um, and not necessarily just for, just for, you know, he like constantly met hate with kindness and love. And that is something I try to do each and every day. Um, I try to do that with my work. Um, there is a, a beautiful saying by Imam um, Abu al-Ghazali, Peace be upon him. Imam means pre, it's, it's like saying pastor, uh, mm -hmm. basically. And so he said, the greatest test of good character is how a person deals with someone with bad character. 
Mm-hmm. And that is something that I try to live by each and every day. And so when I, to kind of tie back into the work and what the work that I do and what led me to the work that I do. So in college, just like every student, you know, I am thinking about my identity. I'm thinking about who I am and what career do I want to have or what influence, maybe not everyone thinks this, but what influence do I want to have on my community yeah. and on this world? And as someone who has just always been frustrated about being stereotyped, constantly being put in a box, constantly being told I don't belong here, constantly treated like I'm different. Um, I thought, okay, what's a career or what's some what's something that I could at least um, do in my life that will one, I will enjoy. And it's just, you know, something that I've always been passionate about. But two, I can constantly break negative stereotypes about Muslim women. And it's sad that I even have to think about that because I should just live the life that I want to live. And, and honestly, I currently am. Um, but it's as someone who lives in America, there's unfortunately, I feel like there's just this heavy weight on my shoulders that I constantly have to undo the work of negative stereotypes and the pers- and undo the perceptions that people see and have about Muslims. Mm. Um, so I was like, how can I better educate myself about my faith and who I am to people and to my community and I found that being involved in the community was one way um, because then that truly believed that I, that like in order, if so in order to, as I say, block out the haters that tell me I don't belong here, mm-hmm. I have to prove them wrong. Right. And by proving them wrong, it's getting involved in the community and creating the type of community um, that, and also just being a strong advocate for um, all people by proving to the haters that yes, I do belong here. Yes, I do belong in this community because I want to make it better, right? Um, so welcoming refugees in the work that I um, do has personally gave me more of a sense of belonging and sense of community. And that's not something I've always had growing up in, a, in the United States just because of you know bullies and things like that. And so that's kind of what led me to do the work that I do every day. Um, and I'm constantly, no matter where I go, whether I am welcoming a refugee family at the airport or, um, you know, at giving a presentation in the community about refugees or who refugees are and just being an advocate, I'm constantly um, also shattering stereotypes about Muslim women because here is someone who is on a microphone, who has a loud voice, who wears a hijab and is proud of who she is and who she, and um and you know you joked and I'm on covers of magazines and such you are. <laughs> not by choice people not by choice <laughs> I wear a hijab <laughs> it's that diversity checklist um but it's also I guess in a way like in a way for the haters to say like this is someone who lives in the community like this is what America this is someone who is a part of the, our community. This is someone who's a part of the Hoosier state. This is someone who's a part of our country. Um, and that's something that has kind of empowered me to continue to do the work that I do. Yeah. That's a mic wow. drop on the hater. Yeah. That's great. I, yeah. That's so well said. I, yeah, there's nothing I could add to that. Yeah, at all, except no. for the haters. That's, that's, Thank that you. one's for yeah. the haters. For the ha- are many haters. I have yeah, I have a common thread on this podcast of calling out the haters. You know, <laughs> I don't think we really have any. I think there's some. I think there's some haters looking in the shadows. They probably don't listen, but I hope they are. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Haters if they're not listening. Exactly. Uh, as Joe, as J. Cole says, look, Mama, we made it. 
That's right. Oh, I'm down for J. Cole quotes. Yes, yes. And yes, as a Muslim woman who wears a hijab, I love hip hop and rap and R&B. Like, those are my jam people. Like I said, when you see a Muslim woman who wears a hijab, you can't determine anything about her other than she is Muslim. Everything else, let her leave it up to her or leave it up to that Muslim to show you who they are and tell you who they are and get to know them rather than you're getting to know someone with already a perception of you know, shatter the negative perceptions or stereotypes that you have about Muslim. Get to know people as individuals. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, one of my favorite um, hip-hop artists, uh, Propaganda, who is an African-American man, with the recent, you know, um, protests and and Black Black Lives Matter movement in the United States, he got, like, a few thousand follows. People just started following him as a black voice. And so one of the first things he did is he tweeted out, Hey, like, welcome to all my new followers on Twitter. Here's 10 things I am in addition to being a black male. And he like, (laughs) he's like listed them all like, yeah, I love coffee. Like, it's just, yeah, Yeah. the the identity piece is, is so important. And there's, yeah, there's so much more to it. So it's very multifaceted. Very multifaceted. Yeah. Yeah, Which I guess. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, after you. Um, So I, yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's really hard for people who, you know, there's, living in this country, their skin color isn't white. It's hard for people who wear their identity on their sleeve um, because they feel like people constantly give us the, I guess people constantly think that we represent the the group that we are, the identity that we are a part of. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it just creates such a weight on one's shoulder. um, Because a lot of times, like everyone wants to be treated as an individual. Everyone wants to be seen as an individual because people want to be fully seen for who they are, not seen for who they're not. Um, And so it's hard when, you know, a person meets one Muslim person and then they meet a second person. They're like, wait, you weren't, you're not like my other friend. And we were like, no, I'm I'm not. (laughs) We're different. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And that's so, I mean, that's so unrealistic to expect from anyone, right? Absolutely, like, yeah. The, the, yeah, the fact that you should somehow be expected to represent two billion people plus on the Or planet. that every, you know, identity is completely homogenous across the board yeah. and everyone, you know, shares that identity and embodies yeah. it in the exact same way. Is, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... And I feel like people, everyone, everyone has that that complex view, but it's usually of their own type of people, right? Um, so, like, mm-hmm. white people are great at, you know, saying, well, you know not all people are this way or not, you know, it's a complex situation. There's a lot of complexity. Uh, uh-huh. but, snap, snap, snap to that. <laughs> yeah. But when you see someone that is not a part of your group and unlike you, then you can generalize everything, but mm. within your own group, Oh, there's so much diversity. You need. Like that's huge double standard that I think, I mean, a lot of us live in and don't even think twice about. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, I'm so glad. Thank you for sharing. Sharing that. that. Yeah. yeah. Well, man. Uh, yeah, Speechless. that was really great. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still trying to process everything. I'm gonna have to play this episode a second time. Yes. Just so I can catch everything that was said. Yeah, I don't know if I could hear my voice a second time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was great. I'm sure it was good. This will go viral though, so <laughs> you'll have to avoid it. No. If I make you famous in some way, do I get, you know, like 
a monthly income of some sort. I'm just royalties. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. Absolutely. If we start making royalties, you will definitely get a cut. <laughs> All right. Okay. But um, yeah. Um, cool. I mean, to to further the conversation, I guess I would think you know what. Um, and you you've already covered a lot of this, but I think you know if you had if you could have the entire, let's just say the entire state of Indiana, right? And they were sitting in an audience and you had a microphone and there's like one thing that you would want to share with people, whether that's a misconception, whether that's just uh, something, a value or advice, advice, yeah. anything like that. You know, what's one thing that you would want people to walk away with or to understand if you had the ability to tell the whole state of Indiana? Every Hoosier. <laughs> Every Hoosier. You're leaving. Okay, so first of all, you're putting me in a room with the entire state of Indiana, and you want me to say <laughs> one thing? <laughs> I know it's not fair. I'm sorry. Like, and I like, and I talk a lot too, so like, that's not no. That's true. <laughs> one, two, three, a few things, you know, whatever. Okay, so, this is we're talking about years and years of misunderstanding, misinformation, and oppression, y'all. Like, this is. Not, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think a few. I, I, I mean, the first one would be, I mean, again, unfortunately, just after the incidents of 9-11, the tragic incident that, um, you know, the entire world mourned, um, people in the United States mourned, and also, yes, including Muslim Americans um, who also mourned that tragic incident. But yet people still believe that an entire religion is to blame for terrorism or persecution around the world or um, acts of violence around the world or war. And that's just 100% a misconception. It's not true. If the, all, every, if all the billions of Muslims around the world were to be violent or terrorist, there wouldn't be a world. We would all yeah. be gone. Um, and actually looking at, and specifically even the refugee crisis now, the top um, countries that produce refugees are Muslim majority countries. And it's not to say, of course, that there are not other religions or faiths from those countries. Um, but I think that just goes to show that Muslims are um, the victims of violence and war and terrorism around the world, just as other dif- faiths, people of no people of faiths and no faiths as, as well. Yeah. Um, and I would say that. And I think Christians understand this because they're constant, you know, because when you understand when you are a specific religion and not to call any Christians out. I love y'all. Um, no, bring it. <laughs> <laughs> but when one, when you see in front of you, one Christian who, you know, says something bad or says something that might, you know, not be a part of Christian values, you, people are constantly like, Oh no, like that's just a bad person practicing Christianity and is ruining the word and is ruining, um, you know, what the Bible says and whatever that may be. And I think it's the same thing for Muslims. I think it's the same thing for every religion in the world. Um, you know, like scripture, you know, like I, we always, I always tell people that like the religion as a whole, like Islam is perfect, but Muslims are not perfect and people in general are not perfect. And so anyone can practice a faith and anyone can, um, you know, twist words of different scriptures and, you know, say, I'm doing this because of my religion and my religion calls me to do that. But that's unfortunately not right. Like you really have to understand the religion and what it stands for in order for you, for people to understand like, Oh no, those are, that's just an, that's, that's an action of one bad person or a group of bad people who claim to be practicing Islam. Um, so that's one huge 
misconception, unfortunately, that we still have to talk about even in 2020. And I hate having this conversation and I hate feeling this way too. I'm just like, this isn't my role. Like, why is it my role to constantly prove that I'm a good person, to constantly prove that I'm not a terrorist, right? Like that's not, that should be ridiculous. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then I think the second one um, I would tell people is that, especially to all my wonderful feminist people, feminist people out there, um, or non-feminist. I mean, I feel like everyone should be a feminist, but making sure that that is inclusive. And so just as women have the right to choose not to um, cover up or not to wear the hijab or to wear whatever they want, Muslim also have Muslim women and women in general have the right also to choose to cover up. So we should see that we should see women, you know, they should, they have the power to choose to wear or not wear a headscarf, t-shirt, you know, a tank top, whatever that may be, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're not constantly thinking as Muslim women, not constantly seeing as, we need to not constantly see women who wear the hijab as oppressed, right? Or even for, or even Muslim women who choose to cover their face, um, which is called an iqab. Um, so don't base off, you know, someone's what someone chooses to wear or not to wear is none of anyone's business. And we should, um, you know, fully embrace that and fully understand that. And we need to not judge people or assume things because someone wears a headscarf, because someone covers their face or whatever that may be. Like, get to know people for who they are. Let people tell you who they are. Don't just tell let tell yourself who they are mm-hmm. yeah that's really great that's so awesome. those are i would say those are the top two top probably two. could go on for i'm for sure days, of a, but... a very long list yeah. yes yes <laughs> yeah well and that even what you just said i think as you mentioned after 9 11 the fact that sikhs you know were you know victims to hate crimes it's like it's a it's a totally different religious system yeah. the way they dress is totally different but just the level of ignorance i mean that's just uh yeah uh, uh yeah hmm. yeah so, well, the whole state of Indiana has heard you now, um, and to, to, tomorrow it's Indiana, the day after it's the world, hopefully, <laughs> but, um, or, you know, the, just the people that listen to this podcast, but uh, thank you so much for sharing that and for yeah, thank you. sharing your story or pieces of your story with us. Um, we'll definitely, definitely have to have you back on and talk more about all kinds of things, because I really enjoy chatting with you. Great guests. Of course. Thank you, friends. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks thanks to all the listeners. I hope you learned something today and pass it on to your friends, pass it on to your families. Pass it on to your haters. (laughs) Pass it on to your haters, yes. Absolutely. (laughs) Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks again, Sarah. You're the best. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for being on the show. It's awesome. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. All right.